I was uh, away teaching on a church weekend last week, and they, they worked me pretty hard, so by the time I got to Sunday night, I was done. Took a wee bit of time off on Monday, uh, but I can remember on Tuesday morning, uh, Claire and I were uh, reading and praying together before the day started, and we were just talking about, you know, what do we need from God? What are we praying for today? And I said, well, pray that the Lord will help me get back into Philippians. I haven't been thinking about it last week or over the weekend. Uh, pray that he'll draw me back into the, the flow of that. Um, God started answering that prayer almost immediately. What, what we sometimes do in the mornings is after, uh, after some reading and praying together, try to squeeze in a wee jog before breakfast and the school run. So I went out on this jog um, and had thought to myself, well, I've got time here to, to reflect on Philippians and, and where it's going. So I was out jogging, and before long, my flow of thought was interrupted when I saw a Kirkpatrick member at the bus stop, uh, obviously waiting to get a, a bus into the city to go to work. And I thought to myself, well, that guy, he's a great guy. Um, and I found myself just joining in with Paul's prayer, that prayer that Richie was looking at with you last week, um, that line in, in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. Thinking of this guy now at the bus stop. And then I jogged or, or plodded on uh, down the road, and I think it was less than a minute later that I saw another Kirkpatrick member setting off for work, this time on their bike. And I thought to myself, that guy, he has inspired me ever since I got to know him. He makes me want to follow Jesus better than I do because of who he is. I count it a privilege to be his minister, to share in Christ's work with him. So again, I was praying and thanking God every time I remember you. And then two minutes later, uh, going on, still on the same road, I bumped into another Kirkpatrick member, this time in their car, setting off for work. And I thought, there's a godly person with a passion for, for Christ, for sharing the gospel, who's fruitful in their lives in a million different ways. And this is all within two or three minutes. So I found myself praying verses 3 to 5. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We saw this last week. Paul's joy, Paul finds a lot of joy in the partners that Christ has given him in the work that he's doing. And I know that feeling. I know that as your pastor here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. So whether I'm looking down on a Sunday morning or whether I'm jogging around the streets of East Belfast, I'm confronted often with people who I find myself grateful to God for, people who bring me great joy. So you guys bring me great joy. And you also terrify me. Whenever I think about it for too long, what my calling is, what I'm supposed to try and do here, it terrifies me. 
to try and encourage people to, to take that step of faith and to find new life in Christ, to try and encourage all those who are in Christ to grow in him and to flourish, to try and lead as we together create a culture that makes mature disciples for Jesus. 700 of you of all ages. When I think about that, it terrifies me. Who is able for a task like that? And then I find myself praying with Paul, not verses 3 to 5, but verse 6. I'm learning to be confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's how I think about you now. I say to myself, well, Lord, if you have saved them, you need to keep them. Because I can't do it. Is that all right? I'll do some stuff. I will do my best. But I can't keep you. Not 700 of you. Not one of you. But he can. And I want to grow in confidence and joy because of that. Remember what we're calling this series, Surprised by Joy. We're studying Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we're going to try and work out how it is Paul can know such deep joy whenever the circumstances of his life are often so difficult and and not conducive to joy. Richie didn't give his sermon last week a title, and I hadn't asked him to. But he he and I agreed as we were chatting this week that if there was a title for that sermon, we might have called it the joy Paul found in his partners. Joy in in partners. And this week, as we look at verses 12 to 26, we'll see that Paul finds joy in preaching Christ. So let's get into these verses quickly. Verse 12. Paul tells his brothers and his sisters in Philippi, these partners uh, who are working with him in the gospel, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What's he talking about? What has happened to him? That's what we need to know to understand uh, what he's saying. Well, if we assume that Paul's writing from a Roman imprisonment, and that's, that's the most likely uh, place to, to understand him to be, then we can very quickly retrace the story or the journey that's brought him there. After all that, those missionary journeys that he made, all those cities that he went to with the gospel, by the time you get to Acts chapter 21, uh, reading the story of Paul, you discover he made a visit to Rome, or sorry, to Jerusalem. And while he is there, he's attacked by his enemies, trumped up charges of anti-Semitism. He's arrested. Now, Paul's a Roman citizen, so that means he's allowed to appeal to Caesar And he exercises that right of appeal. And so begins a journey for Paul from Jerusalem towards Rome. It's a a dangerous and difficult journey. He survives one assassination attempt, comes through two trials, a storm and a shipwreck, before he ends up, as, as we've gathered, under house arrest now in Rome. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what's happened to me, as he puts it. So Paul, help us out here. You're an itinerant preacher. You go around cities uh, preaching, 
teaching, planting churches. How exactly does that journey, and you're now being locked up in a Roman prison, help you? How does that serve to advance the gospel? So he tells us, verse 13. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Paul's found a new front line. Prison is his front line. You can well imagine the conversations in prison. I was trying to imagine what happens in prison when a new prisoner arrives. I think everybody's got two questions. And it's always the same two questions. Who is this guy? Why is he here? What's he done? Can you imagine Paul, if he's asked those two questions by a fellow prisoner, by a guard, what does he say? He says, I'm Paul of Tarsus, servant of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm here because I told people about Jesus and the authorities wanted to shut me up. Do you want to hear what I was saying about him? And then he tells the gospel, this time to a new audience. So Paul tells us in verse 13 that though he's been locked up, his gospel ministry continues now to prisoners, fellow prisoners, the people who visit him in, from Rome. They all get to hear about Christ. You can lock Paul up but you can't stop him talking about Jesus. Uh, folks, reading stuff like this got me thinking. Um, I tried to put myself in Paul's shoes. And my question was, well, how well do I cope when my circumstances aren't the ones I'd wished for? How do I respond when I've had an idea about how I want to live life or about how I want to do ministry how do I respond when, when those ideas of mine don't fly? Well, the temptation is to get grumpy and to huff, to throw the toys out of the pram. Not Paul. No huffing here. No blaming God that he's found himself in prison rather than in the heart of Rome. There's this holy making the best of it attitude. If God's put me here in prison, Paul says, it must be because he wants me to reach these prisoners, these soldiers who guard me, to reach them for Christ. If life doesn't turn out the way I'd planned, then I enter into the plans God has for me and look out for the opportunities that arise in the life that God's giving me. Rather than throwing tantrums about what God isn't doing, he enters into what God actually is doing and he sees that this has really served to advance the gospel. Wow. Wouldn't that be a great posture of heart? I spent a bit of time this week with a, a person who... Uh, was explaining some, some heartache that they're experiencing in, in the place that God has put them. 
But it was interesting as I reflected on the conversation when I went home. Do you know what the last half hour of the conversation was about? It was about how, although he had found himself in a less than ideal, not preferred place, the last half hour was all about conversations he was having in this other place about Jesus. Folks, Paul's imprisonment hasn't only served to advance the gospel through his his teaching, through his preaching. He tells us, verse 14, Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of the Lord more courageously and fearlessly. The Christians in the prison, if there were some, the Christians in Rome who have been visiting Paul and caring for him, they're all inspired by what they see Paul doing. And, and they're finding courage to speak of Jesus too. You get this sense that Paul's really excited. I'm in prison so I can preach about Jesus. Other people are encouraged to preach about Jesus. I wonder if he gets a wee bit too excited and isn't, his brain sort of unhinges. Because look at what he says next. Verse 15, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, verse 17, Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Do you see what he says there? People could be preaching almost in a competitive, rivalrous spirit. But I don't mind. Because Jesus' name is being shared. Here's a question, particularly for for anyone who's involved in any form of ministry. Do, Do you take joy in the success of other people's ministries? Or does ministry, other people's ministry, feel like competition? Do you secretly wish that all success was yours. Earlier this week, I was listening to an address on church planting by Tim Keller, the founder of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. And he talked about a time not long after his church was beginning to grow that other churches in the city began to compete. Whenever they fell vacant, their search committees, as the Americans call them, began asking themselves, What's Keller done that's worked so well for him? So they went and had a look. What's, what does Keller do? What's, what's it all about? And the answer came back. He preaches the Bible. So, so these guys said, well, well, why don't we try that too? Let's find someone to come in here and teach the Bible. So the result, says Keller, is that you had churches very unlike his church, very unlike Redeemer, with no historical commitment to preaching God's word, no recent interest in preaching the Bible, and all of a sudden they're looking for gospel-preaching, Bible-teaching ministers. Their motives weren't great. They were just wanting to make sure they weren't left behind in the, the race. They wanted to maintain and grow their own tribe. But what does it matter, says Keller? 
along with the Apostle Paul, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I wonder how we'd feel in Kirkpatrick Memorial this morning if a brand new church arrived in our neighborhood and started to experience substantial growth. If people who might otherwise have come to a church like this end up going to that church instead. How would we feel about that? It's actually happening, so I thought I'd share this story with you. Village Church started about five or six years ago, as far as I can remember hearing their story. They gathered in a living room on the Donegal Road area of the city. And after moving a couple of times, a few months ago they came to the Newtonards Road to a building left vacant by the closure of Bloomfield Baptist Church. And their church is growing. And they sometimes have up to about 100 people gathering there. I'm going to take a moment now to pause in my speaking to let you see a video. I'd love you to see who Village Church are. While we watch the video, I'm going to ask the stewards to lift the offering. So you're, you're just really watching, getting to know a new church in our neighborhood. And while we do that, the stewards will lift this morning's offering. Where do you even start? I think the first thing I noticed about Village was the amount of acceptance we got, like straight away, and um, how we were invited to socialise with everybody straight away, and uh, the friendship was like extended to us without boundaries. I've always been uh, pretty much a re- religious refugee within within church culture, and I feel that people have really given me a place within Village, um, and and extended that hand of hospitality without really. Uh, caring about who I am or, or where I've been or what I've done. We've really had a sense of belonging, um, but also more than like more than belonging of, of just having fun friends, but you know having people who who understand us and who accept us. I think I've always desired to be part of a church that I've read about in Acts and I've seen lived out in the Gospels through Jesus, but um, actually being able to be part of a church like that is just mind blowing for me. We've really found a home at Village. The past year's been a really big year for a lot of us in Village. Got married. I got married this year, which is pretty amazing. I got married this year, which was really, or last year, which was really great. I have had my first son called Abraham. <laughs> it was just nice to go through that with our community. We've just found like, a sense of peace um, in the past year and a half. It's been something that Obviously, has been has been planned. You know, we came home and we didn't have jobs, and, and we stumbled in the community. In all of that, God has been gracious and merciful, and um, really helped us along the way. Um, and I think through that whole process of getting married and, and wanting to do that in a way that is God-centered, and wanting to have a marriage that reflects the kingdom of God, um, I couldn't have done that. We couldn't have done that. 
without the support of a church around us, a church who get that. A community of God's people who wanted to live together in an authentic way um, to show Jesus to the rest of the city. You know, us being able to share that with other people is um, not only a blessing to us, but a blessing to them as well. I think we find having open doors, um, you know, such a blessing. And whether that's for, you know, allowance, giving someone a room for a night, or if it's just our friends that are around all the time for dinner, or us around at theirs, I think God's really changed me and all those little things, all those little kind of daily essentials. We are impacting Belfast through just living um, and desiring God and following God and that being our big um, kind of adventure of life. We have this phrase, gospel intentionality. But it has become more than a phrase. I, feel, I really feel that for most of us, it has become a banner or uh, something for us to strive for. The words, you know, became more than just words. And we had to start acting on these things. And what we mean by that is just <laughs> being intentional about living the gospel. You come to care about people as if they're your actual brother and sister. You know, if anything happens to them, you feel like it's, it's happening to you. I think no, I can't imagine not being part of that. Um, the community of God is a really, really brilliant place to be. And it's something that we're still learning about because it requires us to shuck off pride and individuality for the sake of um, us knowing Jesus better. It's not the kind of church where you have to come to a service and leave your junk at the door. God delighting in our involvement um, and wishing and seeking our involvement in what he's doing. He's taken me from a place of cynicism um, where I was very much um, not against the church but I kind of fell out of, out of I was disenchanted by it and I feel that through people God has put into my life specifically people in the village, the community and the hospitality that has been extended to me, um, I really feel that has kind of broken down some of that. People around us are being changed because of what we are being changed I think having refocused and living our life through Christ, we really find that it's a much more like, rewarding experience knowing that we're not just living for ourselves. We have to be more open, we have to be more vulnerable, um, and we find out in, in hindsight that when, whenever we engage in those things that we're actually massively blessed by our brothers and sisters around us um, through God. It's simple when you think about it. I wonder how you found yourself responding as you watched that video and thought of a, a new community of Christ not, not very far away from here. I hope it filled you with joy. And I hope we'll find it in our hearts. Uh, maybe later in our service we could pray uh, for the guys in Village Church who've just recently made this transition that God would bless them and that they would flourish and that the Lord would use them to, to build up uh, many people to follow Jesus. I'm going to take a few more moments. We've talked so far this morning about how Paul finds joy in his present circumstances because the gospel can still be preached. In the second half of our passage down to 26, Paul tells us that he's, he's expecting that his joy is going to continue. Look at verse 18. Yes, and I'll continue to rejoice. I think we can deal with this passage in just a few moments. 
But just before we look at the passage, we need to check what his future is or is likely to be, because otherwise we won't understand his words very well. Paul's under house arrest in Rome. He is, has made his appeal to Caesar, and that appeal so far has served to prolong his life. But there's no guarantee that that appeal will ever be heard or no guarantee that it will have a favorable outcome for Paul. So whenever he talks about life and death in verse 20, he's not talking metaphorically. He's talking actually. He will either be set free to life or may find himself sentenced to death. So that's important, isn't it? Because knowing that helps us read these verses uh, just with a wee bit more clarity. How do you say that you're planning to continue to rejoice when your very life's hanging in the balance? Let's look and see. It says in verse 20 that by the prayers of the Philippians and by the help of the Spirit of Jesus that his present circumstances are going to turn out for his deliverance or his salvation. He's not saying that he's going to be saved as in come into a new relationship with Jesus Christ through these circumstances. That's not what he's saying. I think he's saying whatever happens here, it's going to be okay. And he goes on to explain, I expect and I hope that I'll have the courage I need to continue to make Jesus look good, to enhance his reputation whether they set me free or whether they choose to execute me. And then with one of the most famous lines he ever wrote, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's not hard to understand those words, I don't think. I'll make sure that we do. It's hard to own them and to imagine ourselves able to say something like that. What do the words mean? The words mean something like this. If I live, I get to preach Jesus. And if I die, I get to be with Jesus, which is even better. So it's the ultimate win-win. That, there's no problem for Paul there. If you read the rest of the passage, he, he has a problem, but it's not that problem. He's already, he, he already knows where his heart lies. To be with Jesus, uh, either on this earth or beyond, is all good. It's a win-win for him. His only confusion is about whether he should, should I stay or should I go? Do you remember the Clash song? If I go, there will be trouble. And if I stay, it will be double. Paul's not talking about trouble. He's talking about joy. He says, if I stay, there will be joy because I'll get to be with you and to continue to preach Christ. But if I go, it'll be double and a thousandfold because I will get to be finally with Jesus. In the end, if you follow the text there, Paul says, I'm willing to stay. For the time being, for as long as it's the Lord's will, I'll postpone my great homecoming to Jesus. He says, I know that I'll remain and I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the gospel. 
He says, I'd love to go to be with Jesus, but actually life's not about necessarily about everything that I want. I'm willing to stay, to be with you, that you might grow and that you might have more joy. Actually, verse 26, he says, I'd love to come and visit you. If the opportunity ever arose so that you would have joy in Christ. We're nearly out of time, so I need to to wrap things up this morning. Paul is full of joy, even though he's locked up in a cell, a prison cell. Why? Because he's found new ways of preaching Jesus Christ, and he's seen others preaching Christ from motives that are false as well as motives that are true. We've seen Paul full of joy, even though he knows that his life is hanging by a thread. Why? Because he doesn't mind whether he lives or whether he dies. If he lives, he gets to tell more people about Jesus. If he dies, he gets to be with Jesus. It's this great win-win. The killer question, it seems to me, is the how question. How do I get to see the world something like the way Paul sees the world? How do I get to the point where Jesus Christ really is my only joy in this life and my only hope for the next? Paul talks about it, certainly when you read Philippians, he talks about it as if, as if it's easy. And maybe that's what you're sitting thinking, aye, it's all right for you, Paul. Sure, it was easy for you. Why? Let's not take any tricks here or shortcuts. Why why would this be any easier for Paul than it is for us? Why would it be any easier for him to to not slide into self-pity? To not talk more about his complaints and everything that's wrong than, than about Jesus? To not feel bad about his, his circumstances when they're so different than he had hoped and expected. Why would any of that be any easier for him than for us? Let, let's not take that view. Let's say that it's similar for him as for us. So we're back to the how question. How did he get to this point? It seems to me that Paul has this deep joy in spite of his circumstances because it's likely that through his life he cultivated some very difficult um, attitudes of heart and of mind. It seems to me that over the decades of of walking with Jesus, uh, of being in this active, demanding service, he has trained his heart to really love Jesus more than other stuff. He doesn't know what the future holds, but he knows what his passion's going to be in the future. Verse 20, that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body. This is Paul's passion. This is what got him out of bed that morning and every morning since the Damascus road. And that is that Jesus Christ would be beautiful and big in his life. Wouldn't it be great to catch that bug? 
Wouldn't it be great to leave all the other stuff behind and say, today I get a chance to make Jesus look good in the world. And as long as I get that chance, it's a good day. Doesn't matter what's happening in my life. Doesn't matter how difficult it is at home or in work. If I get a chance to enhance the reputation of Jesus one tiny bit, it's a good day. The commentator, Alec Motcher, encourages us to let that word now, verse 20, eat its way into your heart, your mind, your will. It's now that we need to be showing how great Jesus is. We'll never again have the chance to live for him in this moment, to please him in this circumstance. To give joy to his heart by trusting him in this difficult situation. I wonder, will I do it? I wonder, will we begin to discipline our hearts as Paul has done? To find our joy in Jesus Christ no matter what our circumstances So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in our bodies. Let me pray. Thank you that in the reading of it and the reflecting on it, your spirit comes and he speaks to us. He challenges us. And he draws us into your will and your ways. Lord, we've been struck by Paul. We've been struck by his clarity of vision. He's a casualty of the gospel. He's somebody who who doesn't think of his life as his own anymore. His purpose, his only purpose is to big up Jesus to give glory to your beautiful son. Lord, I pray that 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 spirit would fall on us. I pray that it would be infectious in our community, that we'd see that life with all of its joys and its sorrows, all of its trials and opportunities, it's one long invitation to, to show Jesus. And to share him and to live for his glory. Lord, I just pray for for each one of us. Help us to take that text away home with us today. Maybe reread it. Take one or two of those phrases of Paul's and meditate on them. Let them settle deep in our hearts. So that now, as always, Christ would be exalted in our bodies too. What a joy that would be for us and for you, our loving Father. Amen.